around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shields up. Signatures detected. Context Southfleet Command. What's happening? Context Southfleet Command. Delay that order. Context Southfleet Command. This is the captain. Context Southfleet Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to The Greatest Discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. I was really looking forward to this episode. Yeah. Not that I don't look forward to them all. <laughs> I love them all equally, like they're my children. Mm-hmm. The only children I'll be having are these shows. Wow. But I really, I think one thing that this show has done well is build some suspense. Like, I am really interested in what's going to happen next. Yeah. Even though I'm often disappointed at what has just happened. <laughs> like, it's sort of the weird, like, it's the sex thing of, uh, of tell me what you're going to do, disappoint me during, and then get me excited about what's going to happen later. Yeah. That's the secret to a lasting <laughs> sexual relationship. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I'm feeling about it at the moment. Don't spice it up. Spice it down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. I'm I'm wanting to know what happens next. I, I was not disappointed at the last episode, so I was, uh, you know, feeling optimistic about this one. Feeling uh, it, so optimistic that I'm, I'm trying to get into a, a pattern where I speak like I'm in discovery. <laughs> Don't go any further. Don't do this. <laughs> if I can only talk to him face to face. <laughs> yeah. Press my face up to his glass. <laughs> then he'll see how sincere I'm being. But then I'll move my face along the glass and make that rubbing noise. No one <laughs> likes that. No one likes that. If I wanted to destroy the shuttle. <laughs> I'll just rub my face on the glass like this. That's nice. Boy, a Star Trek Voyager amount of shuttle danger in this episode. We don't usually talk about the show as much as we have in the Marin. I think that's because I just really want to get into the show. (laughs) Okay, we could just get into it. Let's just get into the show, man. Nothing holding us back, baby. Yeah, I need to talk about this one with you. Okay. I've got some thoughts about Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 9, Rubicon. Rubicon, famously the uh, the longer, bigger Jeep Wrangler. Oh, yeah. Is that what they're suggesting? That's the only meaning I know of for that word. I thought that they named this after one of the runabouts from Deep Space Nine. I just, yeah. just figured it was a reference to Deep Space Nine and no other things. Had to be. Yeah. This episode starts with a very tense scene of building the bomb. Uh, nobody set them up the bomb. They got to do it themselves. Yeah. I mean, we live in a distant future where you've got stuff like programmable matter. But you also live in a universe where you're handling an explosive material with manual tongs and like <laughs> filling up a pepper mill with it without <laughs> getting the peppercorns all over your counter. Yeah. I, I've never not spilled peppercorns all over my counter. Never once. That's what I'm saying. 
you know what? The greatest leap in science fiction the show has ever taken is that neither Book nor Tarka are doing like bowl hands around the top <laughs> of the thing they're yeah. filling. Trying to make a funnel out of their two hands kind of cupped together. Hey, here's another uh, free item for the merch table, Ben. Uh, oh. Isolinium peppercorns. <laughs> Ooh, they're spicy. <laughs> That's a spicy peppercorn. Ooh, Szechuan isolinium. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> right? You have, I think the fanciest thing either of us owns is the pepper mill that you recently bought. Yeah. I would love to get a greatest gen branded version of that pepper mill. Do you think there's a white label edition of that that we could uh, get into podshop.biz? I don't think there is. This was one of those late night drunk kickstarter purchases i made like years ago yeah. seriously this is one of those ones where you think the kickstarter is going to fail to launch and you're just out right but then this is how it happens like you aren't paying attention and then you start getting the the notifications like hey we're actually going to build this thing thanks <laughs> and then when it came the pepper mill that i got is uh every bit what they promised wow. it's the yeah. If you're curious. What, it, that's what it's called. That's that's the name of the product? Yeah, which we should bleep out because... Because <laughs> they haven't supported the show? Right, exactly. But this thing, the blast pattern on the pepper, on the yeah. grind, is yeah. amazing. It's the best. It's really, really impressive. Um, and it doubles as a home defense weapon. It's it's really thick. Yeah, almost as impressive as this prop. I re- like, I acknowledge that there's some silliness in the use of forceps to install the dish full of peppercorns into the programmable matter yeah uh, remainder of the bomb but uh, i loved the tension in the scene i love like tarka licking his lips while he's doing it it's a weird uh a to b because like we're in this scene where everyone's being very careful about filling the isolytic pepper mill mm-hmm. but then book is like Tarka, what the fuck, man? Work faster. Like, get this thing done. Are we done yet? Yeah. I also like that they chose, like, the one table that we've seen in the in the deep future that actually has physical legs and isn't just floating there. Like, right. We're not going to risk one of these hover tables for a job this delicate. <laughs> we're going classic table this time. <laughs> With a couple of sugar packets under one of the legs. Table original flavor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Book has left a hollow voicemail for Michael Burnham, and she calls Saru into her quarters. She's like, can you fucking believe this guy broke up with me over hollow voicemail? <laughs> Who does that? What the fuck? Avoided the opportunity for comedy here when you don't get the swingers version of the bad, <laughs> repeated, hollow voicemail situation where Book's just trying to re-record mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a better version than the one that came before and can't delete them. Don't ever call me again. <laughs> yeah, he is uh, basically saying there will be no middle ground. We're not going to see eye to eye on this and I've got to go do this. I'm uh, really sorry this has come between us, and goodbye. Yeah. Saru is like, well, we have no choice but to elevate my character back into its previous rightful place (laughs) as number two star of the show. Right, MB? That won't happen. She's like, high five. I mean, ooh, let's do low five out of frame. Yuck. (laughs) So Michael Burnham has a 
briefing with Admiral final opponent in a movie about a chess tournament. Mm. And he says, uh, you're going to have to go after book. And this time we're putting a leash on you. Yeah. We're not just letting fly off the handle. Fuck the mission. Michael Burnham do this one solo. Not when she's this close to the case. I'm pretty sure this is uh, when you open up final draft, (laughs) it'll give you a template for this scene where an authority figure like Admiral Clinical Strength Antiperspirant Commercial Model asks a subordinate, (laughs) if you just aren't too close to this mission and maybe it shouldn't be you on this. Like, you just change the names in the template. Yeah. And this gives you the scene. Final draft will do the rest. (laughs) Right. The one little alt to this is that he's going to attach an officer chaperone to kind of backstop the emotions of this mission. If Burnham were to go on it, and Burnham is still very interested in doing so. Right. And uh, the officer in question is Officer Nan, who's now a commander in Starfleet Security. She's uh, upgraded her face gadgets. Her eyes are back to the way that she wants them to be. Yeah. She's got some highlights. She's a whole new nun. It seems like that's that's how it is on Discovery for the actors, is like, you start with an arium or a non <laughs> amount of appliances, and then you graduate yeah. into taking those things off. Do you think Doug Jones heard that this actress was coming back and he's like, oh, cool. Somebody else that's going to have a ton of loaf in the episode. And then he sees what she's in when she walks out in her costume and he's like, what the fuck? Come on. Oh. <laughs> Doug Jones is like, you know, I could use a few more episodes where I magically transformed into a human. <laughs> that was pretty cool. That would be great. I think there's a lot of story meat left on that bone. I really liked my character being able to breathe through his nose. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the seed vault mission is over, I guess. All of those seeds got planted Yeah. or something. Or, or she captained the seed ship back to where it needed to go. Yeah, that was like a rotating position, right? She got yeah. Maybe she got swapped out. She's been doing some soldiering. She talks about doing like mop up on the uh, Emerald Chain. There's a pretty fun. Uh, <laughs> I like how this conversation goes because it's like hugs and high fives and a happy reunion again. And poor Michael Burnham asks the question that is the landmine in the conversation, which is like, "So, how's your family? I know that <laughs> that a big part of your whole deal was going to, to catch up with them." And like. The temperature drops in the room completely. Yeah. Nan does not want to talk about this. Do not love having a conversation with somebody where so- suddenly they reveal that you've gone into a previously unknown no-go zone. Yeah. I mean, this happens to us all the time where we'll get on the mics and you'll just ask how I'm doing. Mm-hmm. The real answer is I'm doing shitty. And then just like all the air comes out of the room. <laughs> like, <laughs> what have you done, Ben? Yeah. <laughs> How does this uncomplicate things again? Because the Admiral's like, look, I don't know if I can trust you and all of your pesky emotions. So instead, I'm going to stick you with an old friend with a history of her own Mm -hmm. in order to maybe play out some sort of conflict in front of a bridge crew later where people might have to take some sides. Right. I don't know. I mean, I'm just guessing that might happen. Yeah, it's it. I think that one big problem with this episode is the connective tissue between this scene and the scene where they walk onto the bridge Mm -hmm. doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Yeah. But I do like the idea that Nan is a character that we can draw on in 
special moments like this. And yeah, I think that they try to justify it by saying like, oh yeah, Barzans are like all about the mission. Uh-huh. They're like unquestioning soldiers. And <laughs> like, damn dude, you're kind of stereotyping her entire people right in front of her face. <laughs> What's that about? Yeah, I mean, her code is what we need as a viewer though. Yeah. To appreciate the choice that the Admiral makes. Yes, so. We cut down to Saru's quarters where he has regrown all his plants after the Everything is on Fire mission uh, <laughs> a few episodes back. Nice work, Saru. They really uh, bounced back nicely. Yeah, it's looking good. There's not quite as much like green matting on the walls, but uh, yeah, everything else is looking good. Moss grows slow, right? I guess so, yeah. He gets a uh, a hollow from President Trina, who is in a very humid space of her own, I might suggest. <laughs> uh, Greetings, Trina. It appears as though you are hollowing me from a flooded basement. Of course. He wants some, uh, some help uh, chilling the fuck out. Maybe you need a President Trina in your life, somebody that you can call up to let the pressure out of the system. That sounds nice. Just someone I can sit on a cushion with. Yeah. Do a little guided meditation. I mean, Saru is so up in his head, he can't even get through the meditation. But uh, You know what Saru really likes? More cushion for the meditation. (laughs) (laughs) He does like that, Adam. He likes it very, very much. (laughs) Yeah. They get on down. He reaches out his fingers to Trina's hands and... Why did they do this to us? <laughs> Shot in profile even, yeah. like super hot lights. She's like, I would not do this if this was not a hologram, Saru. <laughs> <laughs> I thought they fucked with Saru's fingers in this episode. I remember them. This might just be like what the mind does mm. to exaggerate. I thought his fingers were longer. Oh. I thought they were a lot longer, like an extra knuckle longer. I was shocked to see how short they were. I thought he had Arsenio Hall fingers. Yeah, he didn't have Sarjenka fingers in this episode. (laughs) Yeah. But he does have an invitation to a hot date, Adam. Yeah. We knew this was coming. I love how Vulcans seduce, Mm -hmm. you know? (laughs) Would you you like to take that, which is my regular walk, or (laughs) the food, which is my meal, together sometime? (laughs) And fucking Saru, Saru does that thing like someone who's responding to a marriage proposal, like not definitive. Yeah. I'm going to have to get back to you. I'll think about it as not a good answer. Yeah. Kind of a slap in the face. She seems pretty cool about it. I mean, that's because she has total grasp of her emotional faculties. Yeah. If she were anyone else. Do you think she's like, I'll be on Ponfar in like a couple of weeks, (laughs) so... As long as I can get this lined up in between now and then, it's going to be fine. I don't know why I didn't think about that, Ben, but the idea that this is Ponfire time coming (laughs) and uh, a walk and a meal is instead like a room with a bunch of plastic sheets on it. (laughs) Yeah. It's going to be off the hook when Saru actually shows up for this. Yeah. Indeed, it will. (laughs) This is what we mean by walk and meal. Your people refer to it as tax documents. (laughs) That's sort of the Federation argument, but we haven't been part of the Federation for a long time. That's right. Back on the bridge, we cut over to 
talking politics in the workplace. Yeah. And when Saru gets to the bridge, he has to clamp that shit down. Reese is kind of walking around talking about how Book is probably right because the Federation is too feckless and slow to solve the DMA problem expeditiously. Yeah. I mean, kind of a he's, he's kind of a hawk, right? Like he he is like <laughs> he is like how how eager for the fray does Reese have to be if he's on the disco, like the ship that does every single thing in the Federation <laughs> in this timeline, and he's still like not satisfied with how much action he's seeing. He's he's the Wayne Grow of of the bridge crew. He just has to get it on. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I like this kind of conflict on the bridge with the mission that they have ahead. This sort of fighting out in the open. Yeah, you could see Reese just like shooting Book's ship without anybody asking him to. Yeah. Yeah. So Captain Burnham and Nan come on the bridge and Nan is kind of trying to play it chill like she's just there for a visit everybody's really happy to see her but this was the other thing that i felt didn't make a lot of sense after that uh scene that introduced her role in the episode which is like wouldn't it be crucial for everyone on the bridge to know what non is there for before it's like the moment where she has to make an order that supersedes michael burnham's order right like Shouldn't they all be prepared for like, like Michael Burnham jumps out in front of this and is like, yeah, not as here to like countermand me if I get too emotionally caught up in this. And everybody's yeah. like, got it. Got it. Makes a ton of sense. <laughs> we have seen what Michael Burnham does in emotionally vexing situations before. We need to be ready. Reese is like, I thought this is going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Reese is going around the bridge collecting bet wins from... <laughs> everyone <laughs> everyone is so happy to see non yeah even though they quickly understand what she's there to do and then things get real serious because it's mission time and like any coach of a sports team burnham reminds everyone what they're there to do calls up the target on the screen yeah and tells everyone what the stakes are the planet that they are going to is an uninhabited rogue planet I kind of wish this had been Quajon. It kind of looks like what Quajon looked like after the DMA hit it. Yeah. That would have added some emotional heft, wouldn't it? Yeah. Like if they were, you know, cloaked and, and we could only see that the disco was there from all the bird corpses being moved out of the way as they flew closer and closer. Detmer's like, we can only get this close. Otherwise, the density of the bird corpses <laughs> becomes too thick. Also, the little kids. It's it's mostly bird corpses and kids. Yeah, we're dealing with. Let's be honest, Michael Burnham. You're no Captain Sully. If this thing goes down, I'd be really worried. I'm not sure there's enough power to reroute to the deflector dish to push this amount of dead kids and birds <laughs> out of the way. So they do a cloaked spore jump, which. Uh, I don't think we've ever seen before. Looked really cool. It's the coolest looking one. Yeah. They pick up Book's ship as soon as they arrive. And then Burnham calls Saru, Nan, and Culber into a private meeting. Yeah. You want to do this on site. You don't want to do this ahead of the trip. Right. You want to do this while you're there. And the plan on the table is she wants to use a cloaked shuttle. Like the cloaking technology is totally exportable now. Yeah. You can use it on anything. Yeah. They should have cloaked the uh, the tracking device. There's no more Romulan Empire to have that constraining 
peace treaty with. The, the Federation can do whatever it wants, W slash R slash T cloaks. Was the tracking device a cloaked tracking device or what, was it just made of a thing that, oh. that melts into what you're tracking? That's a good question. I don't know. Because if if you can make cloaks that small, yeah, imagine what you could cloak. It seems like you would be able to feel it, though, if it was just cloaked. I'd cloak my wallet all the time. <laughs> Except I'd lose my wallet you'd lose all the your time. Wallet no, that'd be a terrible idea. Yeah. You'd want to like put one of those like tile gadgets in the wallet if you cloaked it. Were you expecting Zora to chime in here? Or Zora to attempt to stop them? Or are we just not that interested in the Zora self-aware protection storyline anymore, except when it's convenient? Well, Specialist Zora has a lot to do in this episode, but it's mostly background math computations. So yeah, maybe Zora's just busy. Yeah, too busy to care. <laughs> they're going to send a shuttle to infiltrate Book's ship, and they're going to have Culber on the mission. You know, one thing that hit me in this episode is I wish Book's ship had a name. Does it not have an, a name? I don't think it does, and... When you watch Star Trek Discovery and take notes on it, a ship not having a name is a great inconvenience. And it's annoying in the scenes, right? Like, yeah. name the ship. Yeah. If, if anybody from the Star Trek writer's room still listens to this show, throw a name on that pup, assuming it doesn't get destroyed before you have an opportunity to. If we haven't alienated all of our friends at Star Trek Discovery, <laughs> please give it a name. Just for our sake. Yeah. Call it the, uh, I don't know, the Shimoda. Incredible. Oh, yeah, that's perfect. That would be great. This plan feels like it's straight out of a submarine movie. You drive your little mini sub up to the big sub, mm -hmm. and you sneak in through a torpedo tube. Yeah, you get that hammer, and you bang it on the hull to let them know to open up the door. Exactly. And Nan is like, this sounds like a really cool submarine movie idea. However... <laughs> I do not love the idea of Michael Burnham once again leading a mission like this. Yeah. And Burnham's like, I'm one step ahead of you, Nan. Like, it's going to be Saru. Saru and his gross-ass fingers are going to be uh, all up in this mission. And, and get this. We don't even have to bring a hammer because he can just use his hoof against the hull <laughs> when it comes time to make that banging noise. And guess what? <laughs> in case there's an argument among crew members about uh, which side of the bomb or not bomb that we should be on. We're, we're sending along a therapist yeah. on this away team. There's going to be a culber on this mission to defuse, yeah. to uh, de-escalate when everybody is yelling at each other, which is inevitable yeah. because everybody's so mad about this situation. Culber prescribes, culber provides, <laughs> as the saying goes. <laughs> So the little cloaked shuttle takes off and inside the shuttle, I, I didn't know these shuttles had like a captain's chair option. Yeah. <laughs> I, liked, I like that Saru had like fully gone captain of the shuttle mode, which um, should put him in a position to shut down bickering between Reese and Bryce, yeah. uh, who are two of the characters that disagree on the politics of the situation. But Saru is not really able to cool this down. And I was worried that Culber may have expended all of his de-escalation ordinance a little early. 
That's so too. Because uh, he has to stop Reese and, and Bryce from tearing each other's heads off before they even get to Book's ship. Seems like Reese doesn't really believe in this mission. Maybe shouldn't be on the tip of the spear. Right. I mean, because this is two scenes in a row now where we're like, whoa, Reese, chill maybe. <laughs> I love Wilson Cruz for this. This is a ability that he has uniquely as an actor. Absolutely. I think in a lesser actor's hands, this would be silly or cheesy in a way that it is not here. Outside of just the idea of his job being involved in a very dangerous mission, like he handles this moment capably. I agree. I was fantasizing about having Wilson Cruz like resolve a conflict between you and me. How great that mm. would be. That'd be nice. We should bring him in sometime. Yeah. For like the big one. <laughs> the big one that we know is coming. <laughs> you said it, brother. Yeah. <laughs> Saru will turn this cloaked car around if they don't stop bickering, and yeah, and they do. Yeah, but it's it, but you're right; it does not feel resolved at all. They pull up to Book's ship, and we mostly watch this on kind of wireframe representations of what's going on under cloak from the bridge of the Discovery. All we got is the previs, guys. That's all we got. <laughs> uh, Just use it. Use the previs. We only had four weeks off to get this stuff ready. I say we throw it in the episode, call it a screen visualization. It's what the sensors get or something. Right. Yeah. So uh, they show the tube extending and connecting to the ship and they're like, this is great. They don't even know we're here. But then they hear critters or something covering the shuttle. It's got bugs all over it. This is a great audio effect. I love this sound. I love how creepy it was. Good stuff. Yeah. I lo- like anytime you've got something on the surface of a ship, you want to get the camera low and have a character stand up while looking yep. up at the ceiling. And they get that shot, so it really sells it. Yeah. And what this is is a aftermarket modification that Tarka installed on Book's ship that is a theft prevention device. And Book is like, what the fuck, mate? You probably voided my warranty. You remember when I took your ship into that tinting place? <laughs> they also installed the security system. <laughs> What's crazy about it is that uh, it's completely autonomous. Yeah. There's nothing I can do to turn it off. Yeah. Which is like every security system on any car that's ever been installed. No one turns it off right. once it starts beeping. <laughs> <laughs> and the beeping is the worst part like inside the shuttle they're like i am very terrified about whatever's making that sound but it's the alarm it's so oh annoying god <laughs> and it's like it's so sensitive too like all that <laughs> happened was somebody drove a motorcycle by and that and we just have to listen to this now yeah tarka is kind of delighted yeah. with his own ingenuity but book is horrified by this like he can't let his discovery pals get killed. Yeah, he has been pretty single-minded about destroying the DMA up to this point, but he's not so single-minded that he's going to let the team on the shuttle by the farm for just doing their jobs. So he tries to do an EMP at Tarka's suggestion that would loosen the critters that are grabbing onto the shuttle. The shuttle is going to try and back away in coordination with this it's touch and go. We see the, the shuttle start to like rip apart from the inside. And then we see from the outside, like the back half of the shuttle just like fully falls off. 
And then we cut to the bridge where the away team materializes all at once. And uh, boy, what a fun save. I love the like falling into the bridge moment. Yeah. Saru doesn't fall down though. He arrives standing up and is able to brace himself against a panel. Yeah, he grabs uh, Detmer's control panel and she's like, get your fingers (laughs) off of that. Uh, You touched my screen, didn't you? (laughs) He's immediately spraying it down with Purell. Yeah. (laughs) Here's a question that this moment answers. They don't have a transporter room anymore, do they? Because of these flash beamers. Yeah. What's too bad about that is that that was one of the cool discovery sets for the first couple seasons. And now it's probably in a dumpster. It's been made redundant. Yeah. And Kramer might just find it and make his own show. That'd be nice. (laughs) That would be great. Yeah. An interview show set in the transporter room. (laughs) How did you get this in here? What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product. Or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, Nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next gen skin safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never-frozen, chef-crafted meals, and they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. 
Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. The mission is a big fat failure. They had one shot and they blew it. You know what was a success though? Hmm. A near-death experience bringing Bryce and Reese together. Yeah, I guess that does kind of galvanize Reese to uh, follow orders going forward. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what we need. Just more near-death experiences for you and me. That's why we book these tours, man. Yeah, yeah. It's already near-financial death experience. <laughs> that's a form of death, isn't it? Yeah. You've been mostly dead all day. You know, I told our uh, our booker on the phone the other day, like, I know you've had to book this tour three times now. Mm-hmm. I really hope that we don't have to cancel this one also. Yeah. And he's like, hey, man, it's just the world we live in. And I was like, fuck, that is so healthy. That is such a healthy worldview. Yeah. He's the one that has suffered the most. Like, I mean, it sucked for us, too. But, like, he has had to do so much busy work booking and rebooking and rebooking this fucking tour. All day, this is what he does. Yeah. We're like his 200th phone call of that kind. <laughs> and he's fine. He's chilling. Good mental health. Yeah. Enviable. So with the mission having failed, there is only one place Book and Tarka would go, and that is the DMA, specifically inside the DMA. Mm-hmm. And so we get another brief Michael Burnham speech preparing everybody for a jump into the middle of the big bad. We were talking earlier about kind of a thankless dialogue moment and how, you know, an actor can rise to that moment. Yeah. When we were talking about Wilson Cruz earlier, this needle in a haystack observation by Detmer is so thankless (laughs) as dialogue. So brutal. Emily Coots does great with it. But what I don't understand is that this is a show that gives Haas Mazzaro of Hazmazaro's Karma Barge. <laughs> like, eight different totally inscrutable idioms. <laughs> and you give Detmer, a real character on this show, who's been in every episode, needle in a haystack. Fuck out of here with that. <laughs> Do better by Detmer. Yeah. Why couldn't she have said blob of ink in an armis or something? Right. Anything. <laughs> Anything but this. Well... Uh, as dank and vile as that idiom was, uh, <laughs> we get a, a nice cut around the bridge. Everybody gives a gulp and uh, off they jump. And we're inside the DMA, which looks kind of like the inside of a nebula. Yeah. It's pretty in its own way. Yeah. Surprising. This is uh, when Commander Nan suggests a secret second McLaughlin group. Issue two. And she briefs. Saru and Captain Burnham on a backup plan, a fail-safe that Starfleet has put together 
Starfleet has identified a Death Star-like weakness in Book's ship ever since the spore drive was installed. It's a small thermal exhaust port right below the main port. And uh, if push comes to shove, they may have to photon torpedo Book's ship, destroying him. But uh, the risk is raised that they could set off the bomb if they destroy his ship. Yeah, someone could set us off the bomb. Which doesn't seem good. I thought this was pretty smart contextually, right? Like if Starfleet is going to install a thing in Book's ship, it's sort of like that question of like installing a backdoor into an iPhone so that it can be unlocked by right. a government agency. Like, <laughs> like it feels a lot like that. And it makes a ton of sense that they wouldn't just, because Book isn't a Starfleet officer mm-hmm. and never was, right. that they would create some sort of backdoor into his ship. Are you saying that the Spore Drive 2.0 is like downloading the TikTok app? I am. I am saying that. Mm. That's what I'm saying exactly. Mm. Wow. So nobody loves this idea, but Nan is like, I am prepared to give the order for this if the mission keeps failing the way it failed last time. So If no one at this table likes this idea, I know a certain bridge officer who will fucking love it. <laughs> you might have just seen him fall onto the ground after beaming aboard. He's the one with the uh, the blue stripe on his comm badge. Yeah. <laughs> Very problematic, Reese. Why are you such a big fan of The Punisher all of a sudden? (laughs) Uh, It's kind of a pattern with Michael Burnham that like a unacceptable situation is presented to her and only then does she come up with a way to get around it. And this is when she calls down to Stamets, who she's like, okay, do some math. There is a given amount of the element that the DMA is here to mine in this sector Given what we know about where it's been and how much it has gathered up in its past presences in various places, figure out how much longer till it moves again. And Stamets gives his classic Starfleet engineer pushback, but we need this information. So that's going to be the deep sea storyline in this episode. Right. An episode which I'm not even sure if it has a B storyline. This turns a fight between Burnham and Nan into... A truce. Yeah. A truce during which they're going to tell the Admiral of this new great plan they came up with. They're going to place that call. And uh, meanwhile, we cut over to Book's ship where Book is uh, really up in his head about the situation, worried about what this means for the people he cares about, the few remaining people he cares about that are still alive. (laughs) Tarkas like, look, I'm sorry, my... Security system almost killed a bunch of your friends, but I'm just going to call it like I see it here. Uh, This isn't the only time you're going to have to make a choice between your buddies and this mission that for some reason you've decided to go with me on. Yeah. I've been working on this for 10 years, and even though that seems insane because nobody knew about the DMA before a few weeks ago, and the (laughs) power source at the center of it is critical to the completion of this mission at least from my standpoint, yeah, I'm not going to let you stand in the way of me finishing it. Yeah, so maybe get your head in the game, <laughs> mister. <laughs> really going to need you for some reason. I really believe that Tarka doesn't understand how much he is fucking himself by 
continuing to place his needs in front of Book as an important consideration. Yeah. He's going to die having self-owned. Yeah. Like, I, I really think that it's possible to read this scene as, like, bad writing that Tarka is giving away the game. But I think that his character has been well-written enough that, like, I believe that this is actually, like, a social blind spot that is is fucking him up. Yeah. He needed a different partner. This scene really feels like a turning point to me where you can start to see the cracks in Book's willingness to play along. Right. And now, like, what it will take is somebody finding a wedge to drive into that crack. Book, it's me. So they begin playing a game of Starship Chicken where the... Disco needs to find the center of the DMA, the, the control device, and get in between Bookship and it. And uh, there's lots of gambits being played with here. They call it like the Breen maneuver or something. Oh, the Breen gambit. Right. That's why the word gambit was in my head, <laughs> I guess. Good memory. Yeah. What does that mean? All the while, it really feels like Michael Burnham is looking for any excuse she can not to fire lethal shots at book's ship and non is kind of like getting increasingly irritated about this she's like all right like at this point the guy is actively threatening our safety and i think we can heat up the weapons set to kill yeah i mean burnham is extremely trigger shy yeah and tarka is on book ship making the same observation about book like what are you guys doing here it kind of felt like they were flirting right yeah yeah. There's space battle flirting. Get a room, you two. <laughs> it also felt like when you've got two ships with spore drives and one of the ships has a mission of blocking the other, it's like in uh, in checkers where you just like move one piece to one square and the other blocks and then back and then back and then back and then back. Like right. it'll last forever. Yeah. Playing whack-a-mole when you're a little too drunk. Yeah. You don't want to play drunk whack-a-mole. Stamets hard at work on figuring out the math problem we finally get a look at the dma controller which is a really fun design it kind of looks like the sort of executive desk toy that a baul might have at the office oh yeah very much so yeah he wants to swim up in between those pipes uh-huh. <laughs> everyone gets a react shot here when we see it yeah it's good i really like the design of it I liked it too. The disco gets there first and Book gets there second. Yeah. This is when Nan throws Reese the attack pattern for the last ditch destroy Book option. And finally, Reese has met his match in hawkishness. He's like, wait wait a minute. What are we talking about here? Really? We're going to kill Book? I mean, he's not so reluctant that he doesn't just hold his hand over the transparent button as soon as it's displayed in front of him. I thought this was a funny bit of business with respect to the screen in front of him, right? Yeah. I think it could look silly if there is less information on screen and you see his hand fully. It's just a big red button icon. I think you just barely (laughs) see his hand outstretched there. And that is a funny visual if he's just got to hold his hand out, yeah, ready yeah. to push. I mean, it's uh, it's an interesting dilemma because it's like the most violent thing that they can do, but it's sort of like the opposite politically of what he wants to do. Yeah. 
Reese is the guy who plays Civ and and always goes for domination. He loves launching those nukes, right? Yeah. Man after my own heart. Yeah, so do I, really. <laughs> nukes are fun in civilization. Yeah. And nowhere else. That's why they won't use nukes anymore, and we won't either. Disco drops the cloak when Book arrives, and we get some jump-around standoffs here. Yeah. Does anyone remember how the Disco jumps? Because once they start jumping, it's Stamets and Burnham on the blower talking about like how it's going. Yeah. Do you remember? Is Stamets still touching goo? Is there an acceptable answer other than yes? No. I think he's touching goo at this point. He's not getting stabbed in the arms. He's just got like nano globs that he's put his hands in. It's interesting how this show turned away from its own technology a little bit. Yeah. And toward the intercharacter drama instead right i think that it would get a little old if you had to show it every single time they went to black alert i mean i'm not advocating for that but i think an insert of some hand and goo Mm -hmm. is not unwelcome here an insert of michael burnham rubbing the nubbin on the underside of her chair would have been really nice as well you know yes absolutely you know ring that bell every so often So this is full-on space combat at this point. Like, torpedoes are getting launched. Nan is getting ready to give the order. Book and Tarka are really coming to a point where they're working at cross-purposes. When Tarka, like, bangs the console like a drum. (laughs) I love how Book's ship has haptic torpedoes. Like, the harder you hit, (laughs) the more forceful the volley. The bigger the yield. Yeah. (laughs) And this really drops bangers over on the disco. And Nan, like the camera creeps up into Nan's face, hero shot style. And Nan's like, it's time to burn this book. (laughs) (laughs) Call me George Orwell. And Reese is like, whoa. I mean, I know a lot of people had some ideas about my leanings here, but even I wouldn't have said that. So Reese is like, all right, I'm going to push this button. Getting ready to push it. Nothing can stop me now. I am going to put my finger on the part of the screen where the button is. And this gives Michael Burnham plenty of time to like look around at everybody on the bridge and make really intense eye contact with them. If this was the end of Best of Both Worlds... <laughs> <laughs> that sound in the orchestra would just be repeating for like an extra 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> and instead of Reese getting his finger in contact with that button, Stamets radios up to the bridge and is like, I've done all the math. The math is done. The math is we've got a week, a week before the DMA moves to another part of space. Right. Which means they've got a pretty long runway for negotiation if they want to take it. They try to hail Book with this information. He's not picking up the phone. And Michael Burnham and Nan have to walk back into the ready room to have a discussion about this dilemma. Because Nan is like, this is the moment. We have to take him out. And Michael Burnham is arguing for there may be room for compromise that can actually like lead to a better outcome here and seeing this in the black and white way that your people are given to according to yeah according to admiral dad who voices 
sort of retrograde racial opinions at Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> this is another version of the two characters in a room talking about their similar experiences as a way to understand each other during a time of crisis. Yeah. Like heavy is the head that has to make a tough call is what they can both agree about. And this is like an er Star Trek sensibility. Totally. This is the Spock box thing. This is needs of the many. How many lives can we save when we do the thing and which thing leads to the most lives saved? And Michael Burnham's like, well, this ship doesn't have a warp core like in Wrath of Khan, but it does have a shuttle I can get into by myself. Yeah. Suggesting that I could sacrifice myself so that, you know, if need be, you could still you could still blow up Book's ship and the weapon and beat it, just leaving me and Book and Tarka as the only casualties here. And that seems like a fair trade. So Michael Burnham flies up like window to window in a shuttle so that she can have an eye-to-eye conversation with Book. And she gives him the pitch. Here's the deal. Let's give it a week. We'll do our best to make first contact. And if it doesn't work or if for some reason first contact you know, leads to a negative outcome, which it never has in the past. So I don't see how that could be possible. (laughs) You have made an enemy today. You guys could do the bomb. You can blow up the DMA the way you want to. And Book is like seeing the the reason here, but you can see Tarka over his shoulder, not accepting this because if first contact works, Tarka loses his power source for quote unquote going home. So this is not a good deal for Tarka. Your eye finds Tarka in this scene as the third wheel. Yeah. And he doesn't ham it up back there the way that, God, the way that I expected. Yeah. Because this is both extremely uncomfortable as a third wheel watching a relationship conversation and also a third wheel watching two people determine whether or not your big plan is going to succeed. Yeah. He is uh, quick to do the math on this and quick to see that it is no good for him, but- It's too late. Book has already made the deal. And Book doesn't really think that Tarka gets to have any input after he installed weird safety devices on his ship without asking that nearly killed members of the Discovery crew. Uh, This is the most predictable outcome that could possibly happen. Like Tarka has demonstrated an inability to accept someone else making decisions on his behalf. Yeah. He's not going to let this slide. And so he beams the weapon into the DMA controller. Yeah, I thought it was a little bit unfortunate that this unfolded the way it did because Michael Burnham didn't like stick around to make sure they stand down the weapon. She just like flies her shuttle back to the ship. Yeah. Trusting that Tarka is going to go along with the thing that Book agreed to. There's such a pregnancy in showing transit right yeah because we barely see burnham drive her shuttle up to book ship but we luxuriate in the trip home yeah where we experience tarka's frustration with book here yeah tarka does like a villain monologue the entire time that michael burnham's shuttle is flying away yeah and then fires up his transporter and um This is a catastrophic fuck up. Michael Burnham beams back onto the bridge like as the situation goes left. The disco has like barely enough time to jump out of there. This seems like a huge scandal. Like 
the discovery was sent to specifically stop this exact thing from happening. I think this goes to the highest levels of Federation, military and political society. Like, I think Rillick needs to resign. I think we need a resignation letter from Admiral who once seemed like an honorable man, but that veneer has just worn away under any amount of public scrutiny. (laughs) I understand this is awkward. Yeah. The DMA has been exploded. The thing everybody voted against has happened. And Tarka is the only person that seems happy. Not even Reese seems happy about this. It's one of those retreat standoffs before Disco finally has to bail. Like, this is actually great bad guy stuff here because Tarka sets like a three second timer on the bomb. (laughs) Don't have to wait too long for this thing to go off. So Disco bugs out and then books ship and then boom. Yeah. And you get the sense that this thing is going to work until it definitely looks like it didn't. Yeah, because Tarka starts searching for the battery that he is sure is going to have been left behind. And in fact, it has not. The way the DMA was powered was through a source of power on the other end of the wormhole. He was engaged in wishful thinking. He thought he could just get this thing and he couldn't. Two things about this moment. One, it was definitely inspired by that scene in Independence Day where they nuke the saucer. And then when the smoke clears, it remains. Mm -hmm. Definitely inspired by that. And also, I wish we had talked about this when we were first introduced to the idea of what the DMA does and that it's a boromite harvester or whatever. Right. Any civilization with technology advanced enough to make one of these has enough technology to make another, right? Right. Because one boromite harvester is none and two boromite harvesters (laughs) are one, right? Yeah, yeah. They're that smart. It's what we call redundancy. How could they possibly think that there would only be one of these and by destroying one, they would have a successful plan? Well... I think that they thought that the explosion would go back through the wormhole and kill whatever was on the other side of it. But it seems like whoever built this anticipated that as a potential problem. Right. So it seems as though Tarka did not get what he wanted and everybody's going to be so mad at him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I kind of thought that Nan would be mad at Michael Burnham. I thought so, too. I thought more people would be mad in general. Yeah. like, And that the tone at the end of the episode would just be mad. Mad and disappointed. Yeah. But it's not. It's not either of those things. Hardly. Michael Burnham is chilling in her quarters and Nan comes in and he's like, hey, like, I would love to, uh, you know, think about reapplying for a job here if anything ever comes open. I can't believe this. I want the political fallout. I want the scandal. I want yeah. like Rillick standing in that super tall, skinny room getting yelled at by aliens from across the galaxy. Is the subtext we're not getting from this scene is that Nan knows that Burnham's the only person who could possibly hire her after what's just <laughs> happened? <laughs> Luke, my resume is shit out on the open market. Uh, I figure you're going to be the only one who yeah. I could even ask to hire me. So just keep me in mind. If I get tired of... Uh... Not having a family back on Barzan. Yeah. That's one thing that gets talked over here is that Nan's presence in this timeline is, it's still a secret like where she came from. So she can't just like walk up and introduce herself and be like, I'm your great, 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 great grandmother. Right. That would fuck things up for everyone. Yeah. 
She's in all the way or not at all with her relationships, her missions, everything. I was a little confused by her story. Like, did she even have an interaction with them or did she just sit on a park bench watching her descendants on swing sets and just decide not to engage with them? Yeah. And then somebody went over to the sign at the gate of the park that said, adults not attending children are <laughs> are not allowed inside the play area and just tapped it with the back of their finger. They're not allowed. <laughs> but ironically, you're allowed. Mm. Yeah, you're is the time traveler that is allowed to <laughs> hang out in your parks. Uh, the suggestion here is maybe this isn't forever. Like a lot of characters we like in Star Trek Discovery, it's a hug goodbye or maybe hug See you later. Yeah. Speaking of hugs, <laughs> over in Six Bay, Saru hits up Culber and was like, hey, really appreciated what you said back there in the shuttle. It seems like you really have a good grasp of uh, how to act and think in times of, of great stress. You know, I'm in one of those right now. Yeah. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm hoping I can get some advice. I've been invited on an intercultural date. Which obviously can't work. Two people from, you know, different backgrounds, they never get together successfully. So I have to say no. I just have to say no in a way that lets you down easy. Yeah. Culber is like, You're being an idiot. Look at you, man. You think you have a lot of options? <laughs> you live in a swamp. You have fingers that look like that. Yeah. Obviously, Trina likes you. You know what, man? Get it, player. Oh, I would. Like, medically, I do have some advice for you. Maybe skip whatever base it is where there's fingers involved. <laughs> is that, like, second base? Skip that base. I don't know what the kids call them these days. Don't even think about it in bases. Just avoid using your hands, I'd say. <laughs> Just do ganglia stuff for now. <laughs> <laughs> what sucks is Trina really prefers that, which is digital stimulation. Yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this is destined to fail. Um, hi, uh, <laughs> big fan. I uh, have really been enjoying the fourth season of Discovery, but in season four, episode nine, Rubicon, uh, Saru literally asks his gay friend for relationship advice and I thought that this show had kind of done a lot to do away with bad stereotypes uh, <laughs> do you have any feelings about this as like a trope that is being used in the in the show boy I mean if you were made uncomfortable by this part Ben just wait until the future episode where uh, they go shopping at the clothes replicator together <laughs> I mean, look at you. Look at the way you're dressed. Saru needs everything an extra, 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 extra tall. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds like Saru's going to go for it. Yeah. Culber can be very convincing. He's a, he's a persuasive man. Culber not as stressed out this episode as he was last episode. I think he's finally got a clean condo now. And that makes all the difference, right? Yeah. Now that the dot has scrubbed all the cum off the walls. Yeah. <laughs> Chiseled it. Out of all of the areas. <laughs> yeah. It's like one of those extreme detailing videos. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Now, you know, you can actually buy these dentist drills, and they are just perfect for digging cum out of tile. <laughs> <laughs> 
Saru is uh, is taking notes about that when he gets called <laughs> up to the bridge and uh, they have a uh, transmission from another Starfleet vessel that's been monitoring the space that the DMA was in before Tarka's bomb destroyed it. There's just another DMA. It's exactly what you predicted, Adam. Yeah. Somebody that has the resources to buy a shovel has the resources to buy a second shovel. So weird, right? Weird. A lot of eggs on faces at the end of this episode. <laughs> yeah. Look at my face, Ben. Egg free. Yeah. You know about redundancy. I do. Yeah. But do you like this episode? The two major logical flaws in this episode are the redundancy of the Boronite Harvester and that having none around is fun as a chaperone, but is completely contrary to the stated mission that the Admiral had in keeping people's emotions out of things. Yeah. Because the only reason Burnham got three or four or five second chances <laughs> is because Nan gave them to her. Right. Nan fucked up. Yeah. Michael Burnham did what everybody predicted she would do. Yeah. And Nan was there to stand in the way of that. It's one of those episodes that's beautiful and fun. And again, I'm looking forward to how they're going to get out of this pickle in the next episode. But those two major holes mean that unless you're able to ignore them, I mean, this is a hard episode to love. Yeah. You hate an episode with a hurr. Or. Especially two hurrs. Or. <laughs> you know, one hurr is no hurrs. <laughs> two hurrs is one hurr. <laughs> We've been saying it for years. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, a uh, tough one for me to love. I mean, some strong and fun parts of it, obviously. Mm-hmm. But like when the essential logic of an episode falls apart, it makes it really hard for me to like an episode in totality. What about you? Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. Like I think that the those hurls are both things that sort of push Michael Burnham's weaknesses as a captain into the foreground. And like I think that this is a thing that could be handled in a more interesting way. Like I was thinking about in um, Mission Impossible Fallout how so much of the discussion of like what makes Ethan Hunt so good at his job is that he doesn't care more about the lives of millions than the lives of a member of his team. And in the logic of Mission Impossible, those are two things that are not mutually exclusive because Ethan Hunt always finds a way to succeed in the impossible mission. Right. And... I feel like that's sort of the kind of character that Michael Burnham is with a lot more heart. But instead of finding an interesting way to articulate that, it sort of feels like the show keeps kind of running up against that in a way that isn't ideal. And I agree that like on balance, most of this episode is fun and exciting and interesting. But like every time she's like, let's not kill book. Let's not do the horrible thing. It's like, yeah, I want her to not kill book i want her to not do the horrible thing i just want it to be pushed across the finish line in a more interesting way in a way that articulates her needs as being more valid than all of the reasonable criticisms being leveled against her by people on the bridge i'm frustrated 
when character setups are not paid off, you know, rationally. I'm not, I'm not asking for predictable outcomes for characters. Yeah. But why set things up in the way that they are if characters are going to act against their stated interests as they do constantly in this episode? Yeah. Like I'm I'm going to get to something specific a little later during Shimoda, but like Nan's whole reason for being in this episode is unrealized because she does not do the thing that she's there to do. Yeah. That is true and what also felt really hard to ignore for me in this episode is that like the disco has basically failed almost every mission it's been sent on. Right. If you're a captain of one of the other super ugly BMW Federation starships that exist in this galaxy now, you have got to be so frustrated by this. Yeah. Like there is a flagship to this fleet right now that is just what? Like sitting in the garage waiting? (laughs) Yeah, it's always plugged in on that glowy cable to Federation HQ. I mean, an interesting character arc might have been like the captain of that ship. Yeah. Being at odds with Michael Burnham. What makes Michael Burnham so deserving of all of these A-story missions? You know? Make it more competitive. Yeah. There's no competition in this show. Do you want to see if there's any competition in the Priority One inbox? Yeah, I could just go on forever, Ben. You're right. Let's do (laughs) P1s. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Ben, our first Priority One message is from Mariana, and it is to Fanny. The message goes like this. I figured I would not be able to control when this comes out, but know that I'm buying this on your birthday. Happy birthday, Fanny. Thank you for being a great friend and always being willing to talk Star Trek with me. May 2022 be an awesome year for you, and perhaps at some point we can catch a live show together. Ah. Well, you're in luck, Fanny and Mariana. I, I hope you're able to catch a live show together in late March, early April. That would be great. Where we have a bunch of live shows coming. Yeah. I love that Mariana called this shot. Yeah. Tour hadn't been announced when they bought the message. Now it's announced. It's time. It's time for Fanny and Mariana to go to this show. Yeah. Yeah. Happy birthday, Fanny. Sorry we missed your birthday by a couple of weeks. We have another Priority One message here from Ramon LP4, and it's to Ben and Adam. goes like this. Happy New Year, guys. 2022 resolution. Send pod scarves. Done! (laughs) By the way, I heard that your selection process for a new producer not only involved pain sticks, but also auditions, and that while Wendy's Sulu and Crystalline Entity reads were impressive, (laughs) it was her Kevin reading that really killed. If true, can you please release the Uxbridge tapes? Thanks. Ramon LP4. Wow. Like so t- so many times P1s pimp us into character work. Now it's Wendy. Yeah. Now Wendy has to do a character. Let's see wow. what she does. This is a shame I tried so hard to keep you from learning. I have a doubt. All right. Uh, that was a very shitty Kevin, Wendy. That yeah. was the worst Kevin I've ever heard. That's why we do Kevin and yeah. our producer does not. Yeah. We do Kevin. Wendy does credits. (laughs) Um, Wow. Thank you, Ramon and Mariana, for those P1s. Uh, If you'd like to get a P1 on the show, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and set it up. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself in Edward Larkin? (laughs) 
Duncan. Hmm. I think I'm going to give it to Reese for talking politics at work twice. Hmm. Uh, he did. He did it again after the first time. He did not see the downsides after the first time. I mean, if we're talking about characters with cracks developing in their relationships, it's not just Tarka and Book. It's also Reese and Bryce. And uh, I felt more could have been done with the like brutal irony of Reese being asked to be the person to kill Book when he agrees with what Book is doing. I kind of felt like that could have been pushed into the B or even A story. Like it was a thread, but it didn't really feel like a fully realized story. And if like we knew more about Reese and more about why he is so fired up about this, I feel like they could have like actually done something kind of interesting with that. And then um, all we can do is wonder about it as written. So yeah. Yeah. Maybe they'll find a way to tease that out in a future episode. I'd be really curious to see about that. Yeah. How about you? My Edward Larkin is a little bit meta. Hmm. A little bit meta-mate, if you will. It's Tarka for not being Shimoda enough. (laughs) I really could have used mad scientist vibes from him a little more, like in a way that were suggested for him Hmm. up until now. Yeah. A little more desperation in a weird way, like a little more Joker. Ooh, yeah. I could have used from him because I want to take him seriously as a threat, but it feels like for a lot of this season, the emotional and conflict margins have been avoided. And we're like in this very safe place in the middle with all of our conflicts and our expectations. And I really think the Tarka character was, I mean, there's still opportunity for this. There's still some episodes left, but I'd like to be surprised more by him as a chaos agent because I think that's what he's there to do. And he's just not chaotic enough for me. So, I mean, I think for that reason, maybe this is more of an inspirational Edward Larkin, like be a more of a chaos agent, Tarka, like really be the threat that I think you're capable of. Yeah. Contreland in season two was such an arch villain, such a Mm -hmm. mustache twirling, I'm going to do an evil thing villain. Do you think that kind of forced this play onto Tarka? Like, we don't want to go 10 out of 10 with this character anymore? Well, I just think that, like, the fact that he has motives that, like, he is prepared to let a lot of people die to achieve his goals, but people dying is not the goal the way it was with Contreland. And so- I feel like he is a very different kind of heavy, but I agree that like if he was more erratic and more unpredictable, you know, we saw him beaming the bomb into the controller a mile away in this episode. And if it had seemed like he had backed off and then done it anyways or something like that, it would have been more exciting, I think. I mean, or if it came from nowhere, I mean, and this doesn't count as nowhere because this would have been telegraphed too, but if Reese hit the button before being told. Yeah. Like, truly make it chaotic. Chief of the Watch, hit the button. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of those episodes, Ben, I think you can agree that really was good fodder for conversation. Yeah, I agree. A lot to chop up here. I hope the next episode is as well. We don't know the title yet or a description, but maybe Wendy will. And uh, we'll have to have her tell us all about it in the credits. 
I think we're all thankful she's doing the credits in her own voice and not Kevin Uxbridge. I thought her Uxbridge was good. Nope. Very bad. <laughs> Jeez. This is like, like you ever go back and, and listen to the Survivors episode of Greatest Gen? Like our initial Kevin Uxbridge was bad. It yeah, got better. That's true. <laughs> I don't think it got better. It just got more distinctive. <laughs> The Greatest Discovery is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. Our music is by Adam Ragusea. Check out his YouTube cooking channel. And on Instagram and Twitter, you can find us at Greatest Trek. Those accounts are managed by the wonderful Bill Tilly. We'd love it if you would recommend this show to a friend or leave a five-star review online. You can also check out the many great fan-run communities where you can connect with other friends of DeSoto. Those are on Discord at DrunkShimoda.com, on Facebook, and on Reddit at r slash GreatestGen. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more of The Greatest Discovery. If you yell Kevin three times, Kevin appears. Hello, Captain Picard. <laughs> you rang. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.